Section 10 of The Book of Ser Marco Polo, The Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abayi in April 2014. The Book of Ser Marco Polo, The Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 2, by Rusticello da Pisa. Translated by Henry Yule. Book 3rd, Chapters 1 to 5. Of the merchant ships of Manzi that sail upon the Indian seas. Of the island of Chipangu and the great Khan's dispatch of a host against it. Concerning the fashion of the idols. Of the great country called Chamba. Chapter 1 Having finished our discourse concerning those countries wherewith our book hath been occupied thus far, we are now about to enter on the subject of India, and to tell you of all the wonders thereof. And first let us speak of the ships in which merchants go to and fro amongst the isles of India. These ships, you must know, are of fir timber. They have but one deck, though each of them contains some fifty or sixty cabins, wherein the merchants abide greatly at their ease, every man having one to himself. The ship hath but one rudder, but it hath four masts, and sometimes they have two additional masts, which they ship and unship at pleasure. Moreover, the larger of their vessels have some thirteen compartments or severances in the interior, made with planking strongly framed, in case mayhap the ship should spring a leak, either by running on a rock or by the blow of a hungry whale, as shall be tied oft-times, for when the ship in her course by night sends a ripple back alongside of the whale, the creature seeing the foam fancies there is something to eat afloat, and makes a rush forward whereby it often shall stave in some part of the ship. In such case the water that enters the leak flows to the bilge, which is always kept clear, and the mariners, having ascertained where the damage is, empty the cargo from that compartment into those adjoining, for the planking is so well fitted that the water cannot pass from one compartment to another. Then they stop the leak and replace the lading the fastenings are all of good iron nails and the sides are double one plank laid over the other and caulked outside and in the planks are not pitched for those people do not have any pitch but they daub the sides with another matter deemed by them far better than pitch it is this you see they take some lime and some chopped hemp and these they knead together with a certain wood oil and when the three are thoroughly amalgamated they hold like any glue and with this mixture they do pay their ships. Each of their great ships requires at least two hundred mariners, some of them three hundred. They are indeed of great size, for one ship shall carry five thousand or six thousand baskets of pepper, and they used formerly to be larger than they are now. And aboard these ships, you must know, when there is no wind, they use sweeps, and these sweeps are so big that to pull them requires four mariners to each. Every great ship has certain large barks or tenders attached to it. These are large enough to carry one thousand baskets of pepper, and carry fifty or sixty mariners apiece, some of them eighty or hundred, and they are likewise moved by oars, 
they assist the great ship by towing her at such times as her sweeps are in use or even when she is under sail if the wind be somewhat on the beam not if the wind be astern for then the sails of the big ship would take the wind out of those of the tenders and she would run them down each ship has two or three of these barks but one is bigger than the others there are also some ten small boats for the service of each great ship to lay out the anchors catch fish bring supplies aboard and the like when the ship is under sail she carries these boats slung to her sides and the large tenders have their boats in like manner when the ship has been a year in work and they wish to repair her they nail on a third plank over the first two and caulk and pay it well and when another repair is wanted they nail on yet another plank and so on year by year as it is required howbeit they do this only for a certain number of years and till there are six thicknesses of planking when a ship has come to have six planks on her sides one over the other they take her no more on the high seas but make use of her for coasting as long as she will last and then they break her up now that i have told you about the ships which sail upon the ocean sea and among the isles of india let us proceed to speak of the various wonders of india but first and foremost i must tell you about a number of islands that there are in that part of the ocean sea where we now are i mean the islands lying to the eastward so let us begin with an island which is called chipangu chapter two chipangu is an island towards the east in the high seas one thousand five hundred miles distant from the continent and a very great island it is the people are white civilized and well favored they are idolaters and are dependent on nobody and i can tell you the quantity of gold they have is endless for they find it in their own islands and the king does not allow it to be exported moreover few merchants visit the country because it is so far from the mainland and thus it comes to pass that their gold is abundant beyond all measure i will tell you a wonderful thing about the palace of the lord of that island you must know that he hath a great palace which is entirely roofed with fine gold just as our churches are roofed with lead insomuch that it would scarcely be possible to estimate its value moreover all the pavement of the palace and the floors of its chambers are entirely of gold in plates like slabs of stone a good two fingers thick and the windows also are of gold so that altogether the richness of this palace is past all bounds and all belief they also have pearls in abundance which are of a rose colour but fine big and round and quite as valuable as the white ones in this island some of the dead are buried and others are burnt when a body is burnt they put one of these pearls in the mouth for such is their custom they also have quantities of other precious stones kublai the grand khan who now reigneth having heard much of the immense wealth that was in this island formed a plan to get possession of it for this purpose he sent two of his barons with a great navy and a great force of horse and foot these barons were able and valiant men one of them called abakan and the other wonsainchin and they weighed with all their company from the ports of satan and kinsay and put out to sea they sailed until they reached the island aforesaid 
and there they landed and occupied the open country and the villages but did not succeed in getting possession of any city or castle and so a disaster befell them as i shall now relate you must know that there was much ill-will between those two barons so that one would do nothing to help the other and it came to pass that there arose a north wind which blew with great fury and caused great damage along the coast of that island for its harbours were few it blew so hard that the great khan's fleet could not stand against it and when the chiefs saw that they came to the conclusion that if the ships remained where they were the whole navy would perish so they all got on board and made sail to leave the country but when they had gone about four miles they came to a small island on which they were driven ashore in spite of all they could do and a great part of the fleet was wrecked and a great multitude of the force perished so that there escaped only some thirty thousand men who took refuge on this island these held themselves for dead men for they were without food and knew not what to do and they were in great despair when they saw that such of the ships as had escaped the storm were making full sail for their own country without the slightest sign of turning back to help them and this was because of the bitter hatred between the two barons in command of the force for the baron who escaped never showed the slightest desire to return to his colleague who was left upon the island in the way you have heard though he might easily have done so after the storm ceased and it endured not long he did nothing of the kind however but made straight for home and you must know that the island to which the soldiers had escaped was uninhabited there was not a creature upon it but themselves now we will tell you what befell those who escaped on the fleet and also those who were left upon the island chapter three you see those who were left upon the island some thirty thousand souls as i have said did hold themselves for dead men for they saw no possible means of escape and when the king of the great island got news how the one part of the expedition had saved themselves upon that isle and the other part was scattered and fled he was right glad thereat and he gathered together all the ships of his territory and proceeded with them the sea now being calm to the little isle and landed his troops all round it and when the tartars saw them thus arrive and the whole force landed without any guard having been left on board the ships the act of men very little acquainted with such work they had the sagacity to feign flight now the island was very high in the middle and whilst the enemy were hastening after them by one road they fetched a compass by another and in this way managed to reach the enemy's ships and to get aboard of them this they did easily enough for they encountered no opposition once they were on board they got on the way immediately for the great island and landed there carrying with them the standards and banners of the king of the island and in this wise they advanced to the capital the garrison of the city suspecting nothing wrong when they saw their own banners advancing supposed that it was their own host returning and so gave them admittance the tartars as soon as they had got in seized all the bulwarks and drove out all who were in the place except the pretty women and these they kept for themselves in this way the great khan's people got possession of the city when the king of the great island and his army perceived that both fleet and city were lost they were greatly cast down howbeit they got away to the great island on board some of the ships which had not been carried off 
and the king then gathered all his host to the siege of the city and invested it so straitly that no one could go in or come out those who were within held the place for seven months and strove by all means to send word to the great khan but it was all in vain they never could get the intelligence carried to them so when they saw they could hold out no longer they gave themselves up on condition that their lives should be spared but still that they should never quit the island and this befell in the year of our lord one thousand two hundred seventy nine the great khan ordered the baron who had fled so disgracefully to lose his head and afterwards he caused the other also who had been left on the island to be put to death for he had never behaved as a good soldier ought to do but i must tell you a wonderful thing that i had forgotten which happened on this expedition you see at the beginning of the affair when the khan's people had landed on the great island and occupied the open country as i told you they stormed a tower belonging to some of the islanders who refused to surrender and they cut off the heads of all the garrison except eight on these eight they found it impossible to inflict any wound now this was by virtue of certain stones which they had in their arms inserted between the skin and the flesh with such skill as to not show them at all externally and the charm and virtue of these stones was such that those who wore them could never perish by steel so when the baron learned this they ordered the men to be beaten to death with clubs and after the death the stones were extracted from the bodies of all and were greatly prized but now let us have done with that matter and return to our subject chapter four now you must know that the idols of cathay and of manzi and of this island are all of the same class and in this island as well as elsewhere there be some of the idols that have the head of an ox some that have the head of a pig some of a dog some of a sheep and some of diverse other kinds and some of them have four heads whilst some have three one growing out of either shoulder there are also some that have four hands some ten some a thousand and they do put more faith in those idols that have a thousand hands than in any of the others and when any christian seeks them why they make their idols in so many different guises and not all alike they reply that just so their forefathers were wont to have them made and just so they will leave them to their children and these to the after generations and so they will be handed down forever and you must understand that the deeds ascribed to these idols are such a parcel of devilries as it is best not to tell so let us have done with the idols and speak of other things but i must tell you one thing still concerning that island and tis the same with the other indian islands that if the natives take prisoner an enemy who cannot pay a ransom he who hath the prisoner summons all his friends and relations and they put the prisoner to death and then they cook him and eat him and they say there is no meat in the world so good but now we will have done with that island and speak of something else you must know the sea in which lie the islands of those parts is called the sea of chin which is as much as to say the sea over against manzi for in the language of those isles when they say chin tis manzi they mean 
and i tell you with regard to that eastern sea of chin according to what it is said by the experienced pilots and mariners of those parts there be seven thousand four hundred fifty nine islands in the waters frequented by the said mariners and that is how they know the fact for their whole life is spent in navigating that sea and there is not one of those islands but produces valuable and odorous words like the lignaloe ay and better too and they produce also a great variety of spices for example in those islands grows pepper as white as snow as well as the black in great quantities in fact the riches of those islands is something wonderful whether in gold or precious stones or in all manner of spicery but they lie so far off from the mainland that it is hard to get to them and when the ships of satan and kinsay do voyage thither they make vast profits by their venture it takes them a whole year for the voyage going in winter and returning in summer for in that sea there are but two winds that blow the one that carries them outward and the other that brings them homeward and the one of these winds blows all the winter and the other all the summer and you must know these regions are so far from india that it takes a long time also for the voyage thence though that sea is called the sea of chin as i have told you yet it is part of the ocean sea all the same but just as in these parts people talk of the sea of england and the sea of rochelle so in those countries they speak of the sea of chin and the sea of india and so on though they are all but parts of the ocean now let us have done with that region which is very inaccessible and out of the way moreover messer marco polo never was there and let me tell you the great khan has nothing to do with them nor do they render him any tribute or service so let us go back to zeytin and take up the order of our book from that point chapter five you must know that on leaving the port of zeytin you sail west-south-west for one thousand five hundred miles and then you come to a country called chamba a very rich region having a king of its own the people are idolaters and pay yearly tribute to the great khan which consists of elephants and nothing but elephants and i will tell you how they came to pay this tribute it happened in the year of christ one thousand two hundred seventy eight that the great khan sent a baron of his called sagatu with a great force of horse and foot against this king of chamba and this baron opened the war on a great scale against the king and his country now the king whose name was akambale was a very aged man nor had he such a force as the baron had and when he saw what havoc the baron was making with his kingdom he was grieved to the heart so he bade messengers get ready and dispatched them to the great khan and they said to the khan our lord the king of chamba salutes you as his liege lord and would have you to know that he is stricken in years and long hath held his realm in peace and now he sends you word by us that he is willing to be your liegeman and will send you every year a tribute of as many elephants as you please and he prays you in all gentleness and humility that you would send word to your baron to desist from harrying his kingdom and to quit his territories these shall henceforth be at your absolute disposal and the king shall hold them of you 
when the great khan had heard the king's ambassage he was moved with pity and sent word to that baron of his to quit that kingdom with his army and to carry his arms to the conquest of some other country and as soon as this command reached them they obeyed it thus it was then that this king became vassal of the great khan and paid him every year a tribute of twenty of the greatest and finest elephants that were to be found in the country but now we will leave that matter and tell you other particulars about the king of chamba you must know that in that kingdom no woman is allowed to marry until the king shall have seen her if the woman pleases him he then takes her to wife if she does not he gives her a dowry to get her a husband withal in the year of christ one thousand two hundred eighty five messer marco polo was in that country and at that time the king had between sons and daughters three hundred twenty six children of whom at least one hundred fifty were men fit to carry arms there are very great numbers of elephants in this kingdom and they have lignaloes in great abundance they have also extensive forests of the wood called bonus which is jet black and of which chessmen and pen-cases are made but there is not more to tell so let us proceed end of section ten